Hello, marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC marketeer. Today, we are very lucky to have Leanne Abraham with us. Leanne is the president of Premier Hire and has made it her life's work to positively impact and help leaders build environments that facilitate great work relationships that value and inspire people. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. For our listeners who aren't familiar with your work, could you explain what you do? Well, you did a great job of saying sort of why I do it. It's really so important to me and that people have great places to work and that people are great bosses. And so what I do to make that happen is I discovered that recruiting the right people is a very important part of that process and doing it well. So I really help companies get clear or leadership teams get clear on what what they really need, who they need to fill a role, the kind of role, the kind of profile they need to fill that role, and then helping them find that person and then helping them bring that person in really well so that they have a really good, strong start and that they are integrated and synergistic with their team and off, you know, rocking and rolling. And then ongoing that those leaders help to continue to build rapport and trust within their team so that they've got strong retention. There's no point in me spending a lot of time and money with a team bringing people on and then they kind of all turn over within a year. <laughs> so I really want to help with retention and building those strong teams. And then I also help just work with individual leaders on a one-to-one basis, you know, emerging leaders, people who want to take the next step in their career. So that's what we do. Excellent. I know one of the tools that you use to get these good hires and to get two people who click well together would be the Berkman test. Mm -hmm. After taking the Berkman test, what I noticed is that it doesn't spit out like a type that you are. You don't get labeled as something or like put into a category. Could you maybe explain what sets the Berkman test apart from other personality assessments and why you chose to use it? Yeah, no, that's a really good observation you made. We're really complex people. And as much as our brains love to summarize people like you're an X and you're a Y and I'm a Z, we really aren't. We generally tend to different kind of personas, but we're really actually underneath that pretty complex. And so that's what I was really interested in. I'm a former psych major a long, long time ago. And then when I did my MBA, I realized, gosh, you know, this can really apply to business, all this psychology I've learned. And so when I was a change management expert for about, oh, about 15 years, it took me a long time to go in and really assess the teams. There was a lot of questions, a lot of interviewing to figure out how to, you know, shift to chef, right? It's a lot of work to shift culture and people. And so, you know, all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, there's all these personality assessments. I really need that to help me really quickly learn who the team is. So I set out to look for one and landed on the Berkman really quickly. And the reason is, is as you identified, it doesn't pigeonhole people. It is really actually goes into a whole bunch of complexity about that person. So it looks at your motivation. What are you interested in? It goes into understanding what your strengths are, how you like to do things. And then most importantly, it really digs into what are your expectations and needs 
And then through research, we know that based on that, what is your potential stress behavior? So once we can understand that whole gamut of a person across actually 12 different measurements that kind of break it apart, but then we also look at all the overlaps and combinations, we can really help somebody significantly increase their awareness of themselves, of other people, and then how to more effectively manage both their relationship with that person, but also how to motivate and support that person. So it gives us this huge gamut of things we can work with. So that's why with one assessment, you know, unlike my peers who were working with assessments, they'd have three or four or five different types of assessments to do different things with groups. With the Berkman, I can do hiring and selection. I can do team building, team development, executive coaching. I can work with high potential people and leadership development. I can help with stress management issues, career exploration, conflict resolution. And then general motivation and feedback, you know, and pips and that type of thing. So it's super versatile. So I just do one assessment with people and then I can be with them for life, working out all these different things. The other thing that's really important, and of course, being a psych major, I was kind of obsessed about this part, is what is the reliability and validity? This is sort of the statistical criteria, which assures us that this product is reliable, meaning that if we test and retest, we're going to get the same results even over your lifetime because there's fundamental things that are you are who you are kind of locked in by about age six or seven that don't really change. But there's other things that do shift, but they just shift, right? Relative to everything else, they stay the same. So we want to make sure there's test and retest reliability. We also want to make sure it's valid. So we want to make sure that what we think we're testing and what we think it's telling us is actually what it's telling us. And Berkman is just off the charts with those numbers. It is one of the top tools that shares that with about two others, but it has more versatility than the others. So there's my little bit long of an answer. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I noticed also about the Berkman is the questions that it asks you to get to your answers have nothing to do with the actual feedback that you get. So there's no way of sort of projecting who you want to be onto the mm -hmm. test. I've noticed a lot of tests, if you're trying to figure out what type of learner you are, it'll say, do you like charts? And you're like, <laughs> of course. that's pretty clear what you're after, you know? Right. This, I remember going through mine and it was like, how did they figure out all this stuff about me? Because it's so spot on. It gives you a bunch of different chapters. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I was super curious about was how to manage me, how I like to be managed. And I was going through my bullet points. And one of the things that I noticed is it says, for me, a low-key use of authority works best for her. And I was thinking, well, obviously that works best for me. So now my question to you is, if I enjoy a hands-off management approach, it got me wondering, does anyone respond well to being micromanaged? Some people do, but there's a lot behind that. So first of all, you actually referenced two things around your personality style. You referenced both that you don't like to be micromanaged, and that you like a low-key authority. Those are actually two different components. But they do make sense to you that they're one and the same because that's who you are. As I say, as 
you know, we're fish in water, right? The water just is. So we are who we are. We just are. We don't necessarily look at our complexities and idiosyncrasies. And you actually got a really interesting thing going on in your personality and interest in that you actually have complete opposite areas of interest. One being strategic innovation, more artistic way of looking things, a holistic way of looking at things, as well as a engineering scientific, right? So that doesn't happen a lot. And you probably go, well, of course, that's normal, right? <laughs> doesn't everybody look at the world that way, right? Doesn't everybody love mechanical engineering stuff and also want to artistically look at how we can communicate this, right? So, you know, and understand a little bit more about what you do, you have picked a perfect area where your highest value is being applied, right? So, but anyway, so I, I digress a little bit back to your question. So you're actually talking about two things. So you're talking about a low key use of authority, but some people prefer really clear communication and they really prefer to know who's in charge. Just tell me what you want. Let me know you're in charge. Give me the confidence you know where the heck you're leading us, right? And I will follow and I will do as needed, right? I appreciate that. I like that. Just give me the marching orders and I'm going to do an awesome job as long as I know you're sending us in the right direction and I can trust you. But you, on the other hand, are more just give me a general sense of where you want to go and I'll go there. I'll figure out the details, right? So there's a kind of a combination. Don't be authoritative with me. Be more de uh, suggestive, delegative. And also, don't give me all the details. Just tell me where you want me to go and I'll get there. I'll figure out how to get there. I like being kind of in charge of my own path and, and being creative and thoughtful in how I want to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, but not everybody is the same, right? And so you understanding that more enables you to communicate that to people you work with, right? Yeah. And also it allows you to understand that maybe people you're leading or working with would actually appreciate more detail than you normally would, right? Yeah. So understanding those differences. But one of the things that is important is the assumption of intention or understanding intention, but that's another whole big topic. <laughs> <laughs> It also goes into how you manage people. Mm -hmm. Is there an indicator of a micromanager? Like if someone is a micromanager or has that tendency, do they know that they're doing that? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I'm working with leaders and, you know, helping them increase their self-awareness so they can actually make decisions on how they manage their team so that they're utilizing the skills and strategies that are most effective for their teammates. So when I'm in charge, it's not about how I want to do things, right? Because my job is to help my team be productive and effective. So I need to figure out what they need, right? What do I need to help you be the best person you can be at your job, to be the most effective, to be that inspired, purposeful person who's just going to go all out to accomplish things? you know, this is not a tricky manipulative things. This is just genuinely caring for that person enough that I'm going to want to figure out how you tick. But I can't do that until I understand my way of doing things and my judgments and how I go about doing things, right? I need self-awareness first, then I need awareness of you, and then I need to learn how to self-manage myself so that I can meet your needs and expectations in a productive way and help you be effective. So with that general overview, then now let's go back to micromanaging. 
if I'm a manager, it's good for me to understand that maybe I'm a high knowledge expert. So what that means, there's some people who just, they really have to know how everything works before they can lead somebody in it. So if I'm stressed, I am more likely to micromanage you because I can't let it go, right? That I've got some control or stress issues going on and I can't let it go. And I'm going to kind of be that hovering manager, right? The, making sure every little detail is taken care of or really irritating the heck out of you, Keelan, because I'm giving you every piece of detail. <laughs> right. right. And you're just like, oh my God, I know, I got it. Let me just do it. Right? Yeah. Let me just get this done. I don't need to hear any more. And so if we understand that about ourselves, then I can say to you, it's like, hey, look, I really like to super understand things before I feel like I can lead you. But I don't want to do that because I know you're good at this and I know you're going to add more creativity and innovation than probably I've even thought of. And I've got enough to take care of. So I really need to release you into this. But to help me, I would appreciate you feeding back to me really clearly and in lots of detail so I can actually learn this and understand this and just feel confident for my own insecurities and idiosyncrasies. So I'm taking ownership for it, right? I'm telling you what my intention is. My intention is to really release you and that I trust you and want, want you to go forward on this. But here's what I need because this is important to me. It's really important to me to really understand the details. And I would appreciate that coming back to me. If I know that's going to come back to me, that'll kind of release some of my stress and nervousness. And so that I can also say to you, it's like, hey, if I start kind of really, you know, getting in your way, giving you information and details, it's kind of more than what you need. You have permission to kind of go, whoa, got three minutes, Leanne, download the detail. Yeah. <laughs> I will give you three minutes, right? And I'm not going to give you an hour because I really want to just move on this. and I'm pretty comfortable where I'm going. So give me, you know, you've got three minutes, go. So then my needs taken care of because I feel like I have all this important knowledge that I need to give to you. Your needs are taken care of because you're able to kind of manage that time and not feel irritated because two things going on. You're making judgments about me mm -hmm. and I'm imposing my stuff on you, right? right? So unless we talk about that and get clear on our, on our intentions, there's this, all this unspoken stuff going on and we're making incorrect assumptions and judgments. If I just keep spewing all the detailed knowledge that I have that I think you need to know, you're going to assume I don't trust you, I don't have confidence in you, I'm just really wanting to bore you to death and irritate you you find it tedious to work with me because it just takes so long to get through a project. And then on the other hand, because you're going to have all that stuff going on and you're going to start exhibiting your stress behaviors, which is withdrawal, ignoring, you know, uh, so some maybe a little bit of passive aggressive behavior. And then now I'm going to draw conclusions on that. Well, oh, she doesn't like me. She's not interested in what I have to say. She doesn't respect me. So all this stuff starts going on. And before we know it, we're in conflict. Yeah. Um, or we're not communicating well, or we've now gone to our corners and now we're back talking about each other to our spouse or to our, you know, our desk mate. And it just breaks down so fast, right? Whereas if we can really take ownership and learning about who we are, how we prefer to do things, and then communicating that to our team and being really intentional in that process, it's really amazing how the littlest differences can now become synergy, right? So there's the path here. Teams either go to synergy and incredible productivity where people love being in that team, 
I'm sure you've worked with teams where you just can't wait for the coffee part, right? Like, cause I yeah. just love these people, right? They're awesome. We have fun together. I can't wait till we have a challenge to work on together. Cause it's just really awesome how we come together and learn how to build off of each other's strengths. You know, so if we understand that you're really the visual artistic person, right? Like you're the person who puts the, the final touches on a proposal and just makes it look fantastic, right? And then we know somebody else is really the editor, right? They really can go in and get things streamlined and concise and, and communicating really clearly. And then somebody else is really great at getting all the technical stuff and substantiating things. So we can really come together and be productive. Yeah. But if we don't, it just it doesn't take much for all of that to go into a negative cycle that before we know it, we've got this team we're working with that, you know, they're nice people and we like them, but ugh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's draining, right? And it's primarily because we are misunderstanding ourselves. Yeah. We're not communicating our intentions. We're not clear on what our issues are. And then we're also not learning about each other. And so we've got all these misunderstandings. Yeah. When so. you put it that way, there are so many different areas that I can see this applying to at work, not only with a direct manager, but also with the technical people that we work with as marketers. Yeah, definitely. So you have two really key business roles to play, which is recruiting and then mediating for a lack of a better term. So knowing mm -hmm. that you've recruited and mediated for both marketers and engineers, what do you see as our major personality differences or communication differences? And what would the engineers want us to know about them and then what do we typically as marketers want engineers to know about us? That is a great question. There's a lot of areas like, you know, everybody's unique and everyone's got differences, but we can make some generalities between engineers and marketers because for several areas, they're usually at opposite ends of the scale and that can create misunderstandings and then just being irritated with each other. <laughs> so in general, and I work with a lot of engineers, and I work with a lot of marketing and salespeople. I'm, I'm a person who likes variety, and so I do not specialize in any one area. And in, in fact, those are the two areas that I do spend more of my time in. So, you know, engineers tend to be, just because of, you know, they're engineers, they tend to be more of a just do it, get it done. So the fastest course to a solution is doing it, right? Not thinking about it not planning it out, not ensuring that we've got all the procedures, steps, and compliance worked out. Although there's some engineers who are awesome at that, right? Those are our QA folks. And then we also have our innovators, right? Who are creating new technologies and stuff. But for the most part, engineers are just get it done kind of people, right? So you can have marketing and salespeople who are also just get it done kind of people. Yeah. But they tend to be looking at it through a lens of the people, right? So who are the people and how do we motivate, inspire and move and persuade the people towards that end versus engineers typically are looking at the tasks. What do we need to get done? And then how do we apply the people to get it done? So 
it's a, just a different perspective on things. So they're looking more at the technology and the process, the production and whatever else, and then who are the skills and the, the resources we have to apply to that. So when a marketing person is talking to an engineering person and the marketing person starts going into conversations of you know, persuasion and concepts and values and whatever else, the engineering person could get a little bit irritated because we just need to do it. <laughs> why are we talking yeah. about all these? Why are we talking about this? We just need to you know, get it done, right? <laughs> we just need to apply people to it and, and do. And so it's not to dismiss that they're missing something. It's just they're not necessarily wanting to take the time on that. The other thing is that engineers tend to be a little bit more linear. So, you know, step one, step two, step three, step four. I mean, because they're working with technology that's logical, right? Right. You know, electricity only goes one way. <laughs> so they're looking at things from a very, you know, okay, if this is this, that, that you've got very logical problem solving, right? Yeah. Whereas somebody who's been attracted to and interested in sales and marketing, they're looking at more, how do we inspire this? How do we teach this? What are different concepts we can pull together to make sense of this, right? So they're looking at sort of connections all over the place. That's sort of how they look at things. Now, that's a sign of a good innovator in engineering as well. I recognize that. But, you know, just from a day-to-day -day point of view, there's a different perspective. But, you know, when we get down to individuals, there's a lot of things that a sales and marketing person could be very process-oriented. And we could have an engineer that just wants a general plan to follow, right? They like to yeah. fill in the details. So there are differences in people that it's really important for us to understand that. But yeah, no, the difference between a marketing and sales team and an engineering team can and has the opportunity to be tremendously synergistic, right? Because when we put opposites together that communicate well, we create a greater whole. Right? Yeah. Whereas if they come together and, and just irritate the heck out of each other, we create friction. <laughs> yep, and yep. so I've seen both happen, right? I was with um, Accenture for a few years in Xerox, and we lived with that, right? We had our engineers and technicians, and we had sales and marketing. And it was just some teams were amazing, and we created incredible things. Other teams, we launched products that were all about the technology and nobody understood them and nobody bought them, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, the end user wasn't even thought about, right? It was just like, wow, this is amazing. We can do all these incredible things. We had this one product that, you know, as part of the launch team and this whole engineering team had just done this amazing thing. Like they were just way ahead of their time with regards to the flexibility of being able to copy and edit and paste a document with this cute little sort of almost desktop unit that just gave you this incredible flexibility. We didn't have desktop publishing then, right? So it was all being done in this desktop sort of printer, scanner, copier. This was like okay. 25, 30 years ago, right? But they hadn't worked really well with marketing. And so as salespeople, you know, we started doing field testing with it. And we just really struggled because we hadn't thought about the user applications and how to communicate this to the users. And within six months, the whole thing was scratched and taken off production line. And because it just, we couldn't figure out how to sell it, right? So there, yeah. just, we just couldn't figure out how to fit that in and help the market. So, so engineering and sales and marketing have to work together, right? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Marketing and sales is looking at the user interface, the user perspective, the user experience, the values, and the end results, the end goals, what they want to accomplish, and then engineers figuring out how to make that work. That is the perfect summary of <laughs> an engineering firm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's really important that we put that out on the table and value that. This actually brings me perfectly into my next question which is I think that there's a perception when a company brings in someone like you that it has to be this full company overhaul. And that's not the case. So could you shed some light on that misconception? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good comment because it really is actually very simple. And I've worked with companies that have transformed their culture just by implementing very, very simple stuff, 20 minutes every other meeting. So the issue of, you know, that, that misunderstanding, which leads to conflict, which leads to creating enemies within the organization, it's all about, as you say, respect. It really is. That, that word respect is huge. And by learning about each other and sharing ourselves, with the other person and then gaining agreement and uh, of how we're going to work together and how I can help you be more productive and vice versa. We just build this level of, of respect. And in doing so, we begin to trust each other because if I'm there to support you and you experience me as genuinely caring for you and caring for what is important to you, you begin to trust me. Some people extend trust right away and then you lose it and oh, it's really tough to get back. Other people take more time to build trust. And it really is, we can't really generally say, you know, engineers are faster at trust and marketers are faster at trust. In general, marketing salespeople are faster to extend trust. And in general, engineering people take some longer to build trust. So there's already, there's a difference. But by focusing on really simple steps of learning about each other and learning and agreeing on ways to better work together, we build that respect, we start building trust. And then if things go wrong, well, guess what? We've got a platform. We've already had conversations about difficult things like how do I communicate? You know, what's the biggest mistake you can make with me? How do I prefer to get information from you? And vice versa. If we've already been having those conversations, then when things go wrong, we will extend what I like to summarize as grace. So if you mess up and I'm really annoyed or irritated by what you've done, I can now say to you, hey, Keelan, you know, when you did that, remember we talked about that, you know, like last month, how I really appreciate getting the detail and you didn't give me enough detail. Like you kind of left out some really important things and that really made it hard for me to finish this project and I wasted a lot of time. And now I've discovered you actually had that information. So, oh. That's kind of frustrating, but I, because I like and trust you, I'm going to give you grace in that. I know it wasn't your intention to make my life miserable, right? I know it wasn't your intention to withhold that detail. You just didn't, you didn't need that detail. So you, know, you just didn't think about it. So now you have an opportunity to say, oh my gosh, Leanne, I'm so sorry. I wasn't even thinking that that was really important to you. Next time, I will really make sure that I get you enough detail. And if you don't think I've given you enough detail, or if you think I might know something that I've forgotten about, please ask, right? Like, I'm here to help you. I'm here to make sure that your job is as easy as possible. So let's do better next time. 
Yeah. Like how much better is that? And it's all those little, it's, it's all these little micro things, right? That's all it is. It's not this great big, you know, we're all going to do our personality assessments and then we're all going to do workshops and then we're all going to spend hours in a room together, which engineers would be pulling their hair out about. Right. Right. <laughs> no, it's the little micro stuff. And that's why I love like the tool that you did is the stop guessing tool. That's just one yep. of our tools. It's all based on the Berkman. Right. But we just really simplified it. Right. We yeah. made it super, super simple, plain everyday language, no charts, no graphs, no reports to read. Right. Just simple sharing of information like how to communicate with me here's three ways to communicate best with me and then we talk about it and we just take we only take 10-15 minutes to talk about it because again we don't want to bore the people who are just like oh my god I don't like doing this stuff but we need to make it small and manageable bite-sized yeah and it makes a huge difference I've seen change so many incredible changes in teams in just a month it almost seems also because it's so bite-sized that it would be a really good tool for like a mentor protege situation. Oh yeah, definitely. Just it's, because it's, it's, awesome it's these points. Tool. Yeah. So one of the things I love about this tool is it really helps managers or coaches or mentors be really good at what they do without any training. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause you don't have to, to get to know the person for a few years. Right to figure out all this stuff about how someone acts under stress, which I like the way it phrases that this is how you act under stress, not these are like the pros and cons of Keelan, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, if you're stressed out, here's how you're gonna act, which then helped me say, okay, I am acting this way. This isn't some horrible personality trait that I have. It's how I'm responding to a stressor. Yeah. Like for you to understand that when somebody is coming across as authoritative, it doesn't necessarily mean they're being aggressive. Some people are just naturally authoritative in how they speak. And so for you to go, oh, okay. So normally I might react to that, right? And just think they're being really authoritative and, and go into my stress behavior, uh, which is to be either withdraw or be passive aggressive. For you to say, oh, yeah, they're just kind of a naturally authoritative person. And I'm not going to take that personally because we're going to talk about that. Yeah. I actually have a scenario for you that I think happens quite frequently, especially okay. in this industry. So we'll have a proposal and we are just about done, right? It might be like 24 hours before the due date. And, you know, in every single group of people that I work with, there's always that one person that wants to do like a complete overhaul of the document 24 hours before it's due and we'll do whatever it takes. Like they will get a PDF editor, they will bypass you. And it's typically the engineers that are sort of higher up on the chain. Yeah. And it drives us marketing people insane. Can you already see some sort of driver as to why that would happen? Yeah. The Boy, you're bringing back memories of when I worked at Anderson Consulting, which of course is now called Accenture. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the partner would swoop in at the last minute. We've like put our blood, sweat and tears into this document. And, you know, we've got a team of eight brilliant people and we're literally putting the color scheme on it. And a partner swoops in and just redlines the whole thing. <laughs> Exactly. And so what I learned pretty quickly, because I did that once, twice, and I'm, okay, I'm not doing this again. 
So knowing who those people are who come in at the last minute or at the last minute all of a sudden sort of just seem to engage and turn on and have all these changes to make is engaging them at the front and setting up accountabilities and guidelines for their engagement and their sign off. So I think actually that can be solved more on a process thing, but in order to get that person to commit to that, right, in order to, for them to actually read the proposal when you need them to read it versus waiting to the last minute, because it, it really is easier to edit a final product. So they're kind of doing what's easier for them. Because yeah. if you have a final product, you can then go in and edit it because you know what you want. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to take the time and communicate and describe what you think will work best. So yeah. they're taking the easy route at your expense. So there needs to be a conversation about that. There needs to be a conversation on the impact that they're having when they do that. So it really actually kind of comes down to more of an issues clearing. And again, if we are learning to have these kind of conversations with each other in micro levels, then doing an issues clearing with somebody comes a lot easier. And when I talk about issues clearing, it's more like, okay, Tom, wow, those were a lot of great edits, right? Really interesting insights, a lot of good stuff. But I'd like to point something out. <laughs> You've made these insights and shared information and changes when we have 24 hours left to do. And what I draw from that, what my conclusion is from that, is that you actually didn't respect our time and our effort enough to give us that information proactively two weeks ago. And so I'm feeling, and the team are feeling disrespected, undervalued, and underappreciated for our work and our efforts. Next time, how this will work so much better for us is if you engage up front. And what I'd like to have a conversation with you on is how do we do that so that it's manageable for you? How do we engage you up front in the creative stage or even in the draft stage so that we don't have this happen again? Because you're going to lose your team. Yeah. If you keep doing this, because what's, <laughs> yeah. what's the point of us being here, right? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of how we feel. Like, wh why are we here? We're just giving you, we're spending all this time and effort creating a draft for you to redline. Yeah. And it just really dismisses us and our expertise and our value add. So we need to flip this around. And how can we do that? And then you engage in a conversation. Hopefully that person cares enough about the team hears you, right? You need to position this. Notice I put in a positive thing first, right? So that they're not on the defense, that you, they recognize that you value them and what you, they have is valuable. It's just being put in the wrong place in the process. Right. At the wrong time. At the wrong time. It's the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> that timing. And oh my gosh, I see that so often, right? I mean, just, yeah. I, I almost see that at least every month when I'm working with teams where that's, happening you know the boss is flying in at the last minute oh let's change this right it's like wow that would have been helpful to know two weeks ago <laughs> I suppose it does make sense though because I think every marketer knows that providing an engineer with a blank page is a death sentence right so even if you put the wrong thing on a page just put something mm -hmm. so that they have something to mark up instead of create mm -hmm. so I can see that if you're a high level executive or, you know, higher on the food chain, 
it would make sense that you would only want to look at that final product because like you said, it's so much less work. Right. So from that perspective, I actually do understand it because all the people that I can think of that have done this have excellent feedback Mm -hmm. and it's stuff that once you see it, you can't ignore it. So then you have to add it in. It's not like, Oh, this is all crap. And I'm just (laughs) going to ignore it. It's like once no, you see good. it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, that is a good point. Like, yeah, we really do need to include that or add that. Yeah. 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 So an ongoing challenge. And the teams that figure that out, the teams that learn how to engage their experts or their higher levels up in a really productive, effective way that works for them and works for the team. I mean, obviously, they are producing phenomenal strategy, products, and proposals. Who do you look up to personally, professionally, or do you have a mentor? I am a consumer of articles and books and many mentors. So I follow anything to do with servant leadership. I also love Dr. Adizi's work, who is a master change management consultant. He's been doing that for about 50 years globally. But what I really recommend is if anyone's interested in sort of these topics and reminding themselves about all these different things, how to be a better leader or better teammate, is you can follow me on LinkedIn because I post and share daily. So I'm always looking for great articles. My goal is to find at least every day two fantastic articles for my emerging and growing leaders to share. And then I also blog. I at least work at sharing one article a month. Yeah, follow me and you'll get lots of great stuff. Uh, Not just my stuff, but other people's stuff. There's also a book called The Multipliers, which I think would be great for people in your industry. It's another way of looking at how people work together. Excellent. So for our listeners, you just mentioned your LinkedIn and your blog. If they want to find out more about you and your work, where would they be able to find you? So my company name is Premier Hire. So Premier with an E at the end. So like the uh, premier of a movie and Premier Hire and Hire, H-I-R-E dot com. And then you can find me quickly on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. And I will link that in the show notes as well. Yeah, and I wanted to offer to your listeners as well, if they're keen on doing the stop guessing tool like you did, because as, you you know, as you've discovered, there's just an incredible amount of, of information there, and it's a great tool. For your listeners, if they want to email me, I will give them $30 off the tool, which makes it only $129. I mean, it's really amazing. For $129, you get this incredible insight into yourself and how you perceive and experience others but it's normally $159 and I have a corporate discount. You normally have to buy large amounts of packages, but for your listeners, they want to just email me, then I can send them a coupon code so that they get $30 off. Well, excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. For anyone who is interested, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. I love this Berkman test. It's probably one of my favorite if not my favorite personality tests I've ever taken. It hit me right on the nose. So And you're only looking at the really simplified version, right? There's still a whole bunch of stuff underneath this. Yeah. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) You could get lost in your reports. Oh, man. (laughs)
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. It's fun to talk about this. This is my favorite subject, so easy to do. I'd just like to say one more thank you to Leanne for taking the time to talk to me and us about the Berkman assessment. If you are interested in taking Leanne up on her offer, her email will be in the show notes. Next week, we have on an extraordinary guest, Danielle Gray, and she will talk to us about her new program called Safe Space. So as always, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so so you don't miss an episode. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Chat soon.